This morning, we're going to be continuing our, our study on Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus just keeps coming at us. When he talks about Sermon on the Mount, when he, when he gets into this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he hits on three major areas that hurt us deeply, or maybe challenge us deeply. He talks about prayer, talks about giving, and he talks about, now today, fasting. Each one deals with what we hang on to. With prayer, we wanna pray that God's will is done, not our own. That's a tough one, because we typically want our will done. When he tells us what his will is, sometimes that doesn't settle well with us. So prayer is diving in and figuring out what God's will is, being okay with that, and even wanting that more than what we want ourselves. That's tough, giving, secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Be the kind of people that give to the needy. Give to those who are in need. We talk about all those things. Today, we talk about fasting. And this one is a little bit odd because fasting is something that um, maybe is not a custom in our daily routine. When we sat down to do our sermon prep, Michael sat down with the rest of us. <clears throat> the first question he asked is, he said, I just asked, I have to ask you guys a question. How many of you guys fast on a regular basis? And I thought, that was a really good question because it got me thinking, is this something that I want to do or is this something that I do actually do on a regular basis? So I thought I'd start out our service the same way. So here's your question. Don't answer this, okay? How many of you actually fast on a regular basis? We pray. We can do more of that. We give. We can do more of that. But do we fast? And in all of these three things, Jesus starts out the conversation the exact same way. He doesn't say, if you do these things. Instead, he says, when you give, when you pray. And guess how he starts out? Matthew 6 and verse 16. And when you fast. Don't look gloomy. So there are two major questions I'm going to ask you today. Uh, these, these questions are going to be, there's, there's one I'm going to ask you now, and then one I'm going to ask you a little later on. But here's the first question I want to ask you. This will kind of build us up to where we want to go today. What if I were to tell you that there is an extra activity that you can do in order to understand the heart of God and give you personal insight into what he's doing during that time? What would you do? Good question, right? When you put it that way, it's kind of like, yeah, you know what? I might be willing to sacrifice a little bit in order to understand the heart of God through some really challenging points in my life. This leads us into the, into the study of fasting. Now, before we get to what fasting is, let me tell you what fasting has been in the life of a church. I hope you like history because I really do. This gives me a chance to jump into history a little bit. How many of you have heard of, you can answer this one. How many of you have heard of a hermit before? Not hermit, crab, you've heard of hermits before, right? Hermit, a hermit is somebody that goes away in the wilderness, you know, and they just kind of, they're inclusive, they keep to themselves. Well, <clears throat> how about a monk? How many of you have heard of monks before? Yeah, sure, monks are uh, very popular. We're, we're familiar with those. Do you know what hermits and monks have in common? You're about to find out. 
In the early centuries of the church, right after Christ ascended, there were devout followers of Jesus Christ who wanted to get into in touch with their spirituality in a deeper way than they could normally do on their own. Now, in this time period, there was huge persecution against the church. And so these people would run away into the wilderness, sometimes because of the persecution, and sometimes it was just out of devotion to, to God. For hundreds of years after Jesus ascended, these folks would devote themselves to finding out who Jesus was and how deep their relationship with God actually went. And so they would wander off into the wilderness and they would pray and they would fast and they would read. The problem is when they did this, they kept getting killed. Because in those days, in the early days, there was lots of wild animals around and there was lots of raiders around. Not the raiders that you cheer for on the football team. These were the bad kind, marauders. These were people that would attack them, kill them, and steal everything that they had. And so their solution to that, these people that went off by themselves, these hermits, that would, this is where the term hermit came from, they would go off by themselves in order to find a deeper devotion to God. These hermits began to get together and they began to build walls because they didn't want to keep dying, but they wanted to be monasticistic. And so they would be holding to their own vows of silence or whatever their vows were within these walls. Eventually these walls became communities and we know these things to be today monasteries. This is where monasteries actually came from. And as these hermits gathered in these monasteries, they became known as monks. And so we have all of these monks and they would copy scriptures and they would, uh, they would devote themselves to sacrifice and personal sacrifice. And they would search for God in a deeper relationship with God on their own. These communities became spiritually stri- uh, thriving communities. People in these communities would do incredible things for years at a time. Um, they would be on spiritual journeys. Some of them wouldn't talk for years at a time. Some of them um, would starve themselves for months at a time. Each individual monk became their own individual, on their own individual journey with God. They wouldn't even look at a woman if they had to go into town to get food for the rest of the community. They would not even permit themselves to even gaze on a woman. Eventually, when you begin to be scattered around with people that are on spiritual journeys just like you, obviously, you begin to think to yourself, well, Jim, he's really dedicated, but Harry, he's really dedicated. I want to be like Harry. And so it became a a game of uh, one-upsmanship. You wanted to make your mark. I mean, if you're going to be devoted like this to the Lord, you want to really devote yourselves deeply. And so we have all kinds of stories as the years pass of these people, monks, these hermits that have gone off by themselves that do incredible things. One guy that I want to tell you about this morning, his name was Simon Stiletes. Before we get to him, uh, Paul of Thebes. Yeah, you can turn back there. Sorry, Abigail. Paul of Thebes was known as the first hermit. Um, and then we, be, we get into the monks. All right, one monk named Simon Stylides. All right, give me his, uh, his one up there. Simon was known as a very dedicated monk. Uh, he heard about uh, the Beatitudes when he was 14 years old. He became so impressed by the Beatitudes of Christ, what we just went through, uh, that he de- decided to devote his life to service for Jesus or to searching out a deeper relationship 
with God. And so he devoted himself, himself to the monastery by the time he was 16 years old. As he grew, people began coming to him because, you know, 16 is a good young age to start. And as he grew, people began coming to him for sage advice. He got tired of that after a while. And so, because he really wanted to hold his vows of, you know, silence or whatever he was doing at the time, and he would keep getting interrupted. And so he decided that he was going to live on a tower. And he began living on a tower because he figured that was a deep devotion to, to God. Uh, he lived on a tower that was nine feet tall. He lived on there for a couple of years and then he decided that that wasn't tall enough and so he graduated in the height of his tower until he finally found one that was 50 feet off the ground. He climbed this tower that was 50 feet off the ground <clears throat> and he stayed there for 37 years. He was held at the tower by a rope uh, when he needed to eat, his disciples would bring him food and they would put it, hoist it up on the tower. And when he needed to get rid of the food that he ate, uh, they would carry his waste away uh, for him. His platform that he lived on was about six feet around and they built eventually a little, little rope. It wasn't that uh, thing that you see there, but it was a little rope to keep him from falling off. On this 50-foot tower, Simon lived 37 years and devoted his whole life to a, finding a deeper relationship with God. As the elements came down on him, you can imagine, uh, it took its toll, especially on the ropes, and the ropes began to eat into his, his flesh because they were holding him on. And so maggots began to grow into the, uh, into the rope and into his flesh. And it's said that every time one of the maggots would fall off, Simon would pick up one of the maggots, put it back into his flesh and say, eat what the Lord has given to you. I know. After Simon did this, what's even more crazy is that that's a high bar, right? So more people decided to try and do what Simon did even after this. Now I tell you a story like that and your first response is, that's crazy, right? Crazy stuff. But the church will look back on this and say, that was kind of a waste of life. What a distorted view of sacrifice that is. But my admonition to you today is simply this. The church has swung the pendulum in completely the opposite direction. Here's what I mean by that. If I mention anything that resembles sacrifice through prayer and fasting today, typically the church person, the regular churchgoer might look at me and think that I've turned into Simon Stiletti's. That's craziness. Craig, Church devotion is between me and God. My spiritual life is between me and God. Talking about fasting today in church sounds something like asking you to live on a 50-foot tower for 37 years. Some people do fast today. Here's some wrong notions of fasting. Fasting can be seen as a cultural party. Uh, when I drove for Uber for a while, I would have never guessed one of the busiest days that I had was something called Fat Tuesday. Have you heard of Fat Tuesday? Fat Tuesday is a rocking time for a lot of people because you know what the next day is? Yeah, that's right. It's Lent. It's the beginning of Lent. It's Ash Wednesday. So you know what you do on Fat Tuesday? Gorge up, baby, because then the 